0: This is a GRDC podcast. For a couple of years now, researchers on the Riverine Plains have been trialling early sown wheats, both winter and spring varieties. This GRDC investment has thrown up some very interesting results, as you'll hear. G'day, I'm Chris Brown. Right on harvest in 2019, I made a nuisance of myself at one of the trial sites at Yarrawonga on the southern side of the Murray. Michael Strait, a researcher from Far Australia, showed me around the site and explained how they'd set
1: the trials up and what they were looking for. I think it was understanding the the management of longer season spring and winter type wheats and how they fit into the medium to low rainfall zone looking at different varietal factors, different times of sowing. How early in the season can we do it if we get a break? And how do we manage it then? The canopy Mm. after we get it in early and and, and looking at certain varieties, managing that canopy. And basically, how can we use a winter wheat sown early to almost equal spring wheat sown in the right time so we can spread our risk a little Mm. bit but actually try and keep the same sort of static yield, a similar yield across this.
0: A question I'll get for you, this may be a very basic question to a lot of growers, but why has early sown wheat been so popular, been so productive I suppose in terms of yield?
1: A lot of it comes down to we can get the, the seed in the ground and established early, it can get its root zone established, it can produce biomass early, so biomass normally equals yield in this sort of scenario and further south into the high rainfall zone, sort of that sort of concept coming from the high rainfall zone. And then get it through that winter period and into spring as long as we get spring rainfall we can ne- have that larger biomass producing grain in the mm. end also a factor in a lot of growers in this region is sowing early is logistics logistics yes. size mm. of properties are getting mm. bigger operations are getting bigger they want a bigger window so they can sow cereals mm. canola legumes if they have them in their program so it's just a logistical factor too mm. and dry sowing and the faith to dry sow and to know that okay it's going to come up and I think that in the last sort of five years that I've been in this region a lot more dry sowing in years like this waiting for the break get your program sorted out and you can put it in the ground and and Mm. move on.
0: Okay so you were looking at both the spring wheats and the winter wheats Mm. were you comparing them or just looking at them individually to see the best management practices for them?
1: Definitely comparing them individually so there's a two spring checks if you will two spring commercial types and this variety trial. as early as the 15th of march mm. so really out of their window seeing what would happen it's almost a blue sky bit of a look for those as well but then also putting them in their window so the start of may mm. and seeing if how that compare with maybe a, a winter sown on yeah. the 15th of march and, and how they can compare side by side but some of that blue sky stuff's quite interesting too so yeah, like, well,
0: tell me about that what's yeah what, so,
1: find? so last year no two years ago 17 i think it was we get pretty good frost around here, you see it's pretty flat, it yeah. gets pretty cold. Um, so we had scepter and cutlass sown on the 15th of March, flowering in June and July, oh, wow. basically being wiped out. Yeah. But then regrowth tillers, it's basically like a spring sown crop, so then it basically resets the clock on it, we get regrowth tillers in, coming through in July, flowering probably in a more suitable window mm-hmm. <laughs> in late September, two and a half ton, two and a half, three ton off a crop that we thought was just dead. Yeah. in July so there's a couple of things like that it's just like well, you know that you just wouldn't even think about
0: yeah and not and recommended not recommended <laughs> but
1: there, is there options there is there, oh, okay if we're getting them in in March and able for a window what about grazing mm. they produce so much biomass early they go through their growth stages so quick yeah could we just use it as it smash it grazing grazing yeah. grazing and then let do it do run it? we haven't no uh we, we're actually looking at proper grazing varieties when we're yeah. doing the grazing trial but that's you know that's something we could look cause it takes away the frost risk as well. Mm. You're getting rid of all that biomass so there's nothing to be frosted in the winter Mm. and so then we can flower in our our normal sort of normal window and hopefully sort of minimise our frost risk. But yeah there's a few things like that that uh, just sort of weren't even thought about when we started.
0: What about the winter varieties? How far back did you go? So that was the same. So the
1: 15th of of March was the the earliest we went with any of them and and look that's too early for a lot of them. It's probably the really the longest season types that were that were suited best to going into the 15th of March and taking use if we did have 10 or 15 mils of rain on the 15th of March we could make use of it but probably for the most of the Australian type winters I'd say from the first week of April really and that's probably when they start to go better into the 15th of April is probably sort of the sweet spot
0: yeah and the flowering window and the
1: flowering window Hmm. our vernalisation period is is um sufficient enough in that winter time and they all reasonably stable flowering window then on the back end of that. When is that? So, so it depends, last week of September into the first week of October is mm. probably around this region with the, with the slower ones like what we're standing in front of here probably pushing that out another four or five days after that.
0: It's fairly predictable though. Yeah pr-
1: fairly predictable once we, once, and that can be a good and a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Why is that? Oh well if, if everything in your, in your program is flowering on the same week and we get a run frost, yeah, of frosts, well yeah. then everything's, everything's going. going. But if we can mitigate it maybe with some slower or some quicker stuff and we can see that this year. So yeah. with Bennett this year although it's been very stable in its flowering window and has been quite good in this project and topped the yields this year it looks like the 20 days just before it was flowering it's a little bit less mature than everything else coming into flowering and we can see that we've lost a whole heap of uh, tops of heads um, through frost. So that was the field day, was the 24th of September we were here, I was here at six in the morning. She was crunchy underfoot and I was like, oh, that's not gonna be very good. But everything else, heads were out and they were, they seemed a bit okay. This was probably just a little bit more vulnerable as it was just developing in the boot, so. Certainly half to
0: two thirds of it had gone. That's
1: that's correct, especially in these later sowings. So I suppose if we look right beside us there, that's the earliest sowing, we don't have as much. We have a few more fuller heads. But yeah, especially in those sort of sort of mid-april to late April sowings where we're seeing that frost effect a so, lot more.
0: So what caused then? That's, that's just
1: a couple of days difference in maturity. That's all it is as a phenology is, it's basically that's all it is.
0: So no damages to well, yeah very like,
1: little damage. Well because that that's the most sensitive period for the crop is that 20 days pre-flowering. Hmm. So if this is a so four or five days difference to that, you know that's where we're sort of seeing those differences in, in damage yeah yeah, okay. Yeah.
0: So, the advantages then of, of a winter weed, what would you say?
1: Here we've probably got a couple of options mm. where a lot of grazing's in the system where you can get a sort of two bites of the cherry, if you will. And then, even for a third option, as we can, we're standing in a paddock with that's full of hay. Yeah. So, a lot of these, because they create biomass through the winter and they're a little bit later, you can actually make some decent quality hay. You can see varieties that don't have awns, that's seen as a benefit to hay consumers. And we're seeing that with a few varieties, the pure winter types. and. We're, like, we're lucky here we have access to hay markets both north and south and grazing is an option and obviously taking through the grain as well.
0: you trial the grazing, has that had an yeah. impact on yield at all?
1: Probably the biggest lever we can pull is the grazing. Different scenarios it has different effects so if we get a heavy late frost year we may be able to delay the flowering because of the grazing that gets us out of that frost window so we may produce more grain where we've grazed. The two bites of the cherry thing is probably the biggest one where we can actually take that biomass put it into an animal and we're not having massive yield losses. And I know the further south you go the less yield losses you'll have from grazing but here we're probably sort of in that point where we are finding slight yield losses from grazing but not huge you know. With making it up. With yeah what's with, going with, with, the with, with going into the animals so yeah. yeah. Now you mentioned
0: dry sowing what have you found in terms of moisture needs at sowing here?
1: The last two seasons have been a good case in point because to get these trials out of the ground and to mimic a break we actually have to apply water on top so 10 millimetres of yep. rainfall if you will through a dripper line irrigation at each time of sowing. And we've found that the emergence is always better when we get natural rainfall and 10 mils probably just isn't enough. We can get it out of the ground the emergence is just a little more patchy on 10 mils say in March than it would be in 10 mils say in the 1st of May. And whenever we're able to jag natural rainfall at those timings we've let it go from natural rainfall and we've seen it much more uniform emergence probably just 10 mils is probably it'll definitely get out of the ground and we'll definitely get a yield but we probably need 15 I'd say. Yeah there's definite differences there and it's the emergence and the establishment and that sort of sets you up. You need that to set you up yeah. in these winter wheats.
0: What about the spring wheats? Are they any different in terms of the rainfall or um, moisture requirements?
1: With the um, soil temperature early they seem to be, be more vigorous because they don't have any vernalisation period or characteristics they're more driven by photo period mm. or um, temperature or thermo time so they just sort of race away and there's a lot of, sort of vigour early from something sown on the 15th of March even with 10 mil whereas a winter probably needs just that little bit more to get that even emergence. Mm.
0: What about establishment moisture?
1: For the springs we definitely need less establishment moisture than we do with a a winter to get that sort of even establishment but then again with a winter it doesn't matter if we don't get every plant come up because they like to tiller a lot more whereas a spring you probably want every single one to come up so we can then get a, a decent crop yeah with something like we're standing in front of a pure winter it'll tiller we could get 9, 10, 12 tillers mm. off it during that winter period where a pure spring won't, won't do that.
0: And Michael what about around here if it's you know you get a bit of a dry patch after sowing what is going to happen then?
1: We've actually had the, well, the the luxury of seeing that in the last two seasons so our mid-March sowing has been the only thing in and obviously we've had really dry sort of starts to the season in both these two years and we thought all intents and purposes they were dead and and that was the aim of the project wasn't to go back and water them it was to actually see what they did Mm. and we've actually you can see it as in front of you like the stuff from the 18th of march sowing was pretty much cooked we didn't get any rain natural rainfall until the the third of may so that had no moisture only that 10 mil and it managed to survive and and get through on that
0: on six we have six weeks of
1: Yeah, pretty much six weeks of just of just that 10 mil is concentrated in furrow. It's it's yeah, so it's a little different, but it's still not much moisture to keep that crop get that crop out of the ground and growing and sustain it. So that's been some part of the project that's been quite interesting too, seeing how yeah, it's pretty hard to kill the wheat plant. I think you sort of find once we get it up and established, and I think James has shown a couple of tricks he's done when he's been visiting sites that are quite dry, pulling a plant out, putting it in a moist towel overnight, and it'll take off again and go green from being brown. So like. That's one of the sort of flexibility aspects I think we've got with this, with any early moisture. Was that
0: both winter wheats and the yeah, pro- spring
1: wheats? Yeah, yeah, it was actually. Like, obviously, the spring wheats are more vigorous and right. maybe a little bit more advanced and probably. Are they wanting yeah, more moisture? They're probably or? wanting more moisture where, the, where yeah. the other ones sort of get up and can just sort of sit there yeah. and, and, and sort of maybe produce two or three leaves and, and sort of relax, <laughs> if you will, we'll just sort of just get themselves through. Where the other ones would probably sort of want a little bit more moisture to keep going. They're probably looking the worse off when it came to that rain.
0: What were some of the other variables in the crop apart from time of sowing?
1: Yeah okay so in the next trial over there where we're looking at the specific management we probably we looked at uh, nitrogen timing either up front or at stem elongation probably where more likely a farmer would do it. You know with these winters is it actually better to give them that sort of establishment nitrogen early Mm. to get them through that winter period if it is waterlogging or if it is cold you know like to really boost them through there and move it on. And that's sort of been up and down that variable, I suppose. It's not a massive lever. I think just the amount of nitrogen is the, is the key point. In our winter dominant system, I suppose, I think we're finding any time we've got spring rainfall with that elongation application, we're outstripping the, the early nitrogen. And another variable in that trial would seed rate. So we're actually looking at that effect of seed rate. So down to 50 plants per square metre to 100, 150, and seeing you know, are we getting differences. But the winter's tiller out so much we probably don't see that. You know, okay, we're, we're 50 to 150. The seed rate issue this year it was because we got some heavy rain just after sowing we probably buried a lot of seed so we got patchy establishment but the last couple of seasons we haven't seen massive issues with the seed rate effect especially here into higher rainfall zones as we move south down the country it actually works towards advantage so you, it tillers out more and more and more yeah. and you yeah you can actually um, make up your canopy that way instead yes. of having a, um, loads of plants with one tiller yeah and
0: other variables.
1: And then also grazing on that trial as well. So that was sort of the third variable in that mm. trial. So a two grazing system, so like following what a grower would do with some lambs or sheep in the paddock, one early at tillering, taking off those new leaves and then just before stem elongation at first node, uh, GS 30, 31, around there and then taking it down and then letting it go, sort of shutting the paddock up, if you will, after that. Yeah. and Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Fire Australia researcher Michael Strait talking to me at a trial site in Yarrawonga on the mighty Murray River. And, look, I've got to say, I have not seen so much hay being produced in my life as I did last summer on the Riverine Plains. Put it all together and I think it would have rivaled the Great Wall of China.